All right, the Word of God says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way, seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Father, we're thankful today for the privilege of being in the house of the Lord. We're thankful, God, from the beginning, what our heart has felt and what our ears have heard. We're thankful for the fellowship we've had, the teaching that we have sat under, the singing the choir has done, the touch of the Spirit, God, that uh, makes all the difference in everything that we that are Christians do for your glory. And Father, I pray now for that touch upon the Word of God. Lord, I, I just don't pray every time I preach because it's, quote, the thing to do. God, I need to I get in touch with the throne, and I need, Father, your touch. I need that anointing that makes all the difference. And I pray, God, that you'd loosen this tongue, that you would refresh this mind. God, that you'd give me those fresh things from heaven if it's your will. But God, I pray that you'd make real to our heart those things that I've studied and those things that you give us to glean out of this passage. Have your own way with us. Help us to rejoice and be glad in who you are, what you've done, and what you're going to do. And we'll praise you for it if we ask it. In that name that's above every name that's named, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm going to talk to you a little while today about the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price. This message we're going to look at today is the sixth of Jesus' parable, but it's the seventh in the series that, uh, that, that I've been preaching. And by now, I think, interpreting parables for all of us ought to be a little easier for us today than it was when we, when we began looking at them a few weeks ago. Remember, a parable is trying to relate one specific thing. There may be many parts to a parable, and there is, but there is one idea that a parable is doing its best to convey and to portray. If you remember when this passage and this chapter started, this whole series of events, Jesus was in Galilee. And when he began teaching these parables, he did so, friend, he did so actually on the Sea of Galilee. He had pushed himself out on a boat a little way from the shore while the multitude was there listening him, uh, listening to him, and he began to speak these seven parables that we find in Matthew chapter 13. They are parables of the mystery of the kingdom, meaning, and I'll probably say this again later in the message, it tells what's happening on planet earth from the time Jesus, the Messiah, was rejected until the time that, he's, that he'll return. I'll tell you what, I wasn't here for his first coming, but thank God I'm going to be at his second. Amen. That excites me. So these parables are absolutely important. And after he spoke the fourth parable to the multitude, he went back into a house. He went into a house which was probably uh, Peter's, like I told you last week. And when he had left the multitude with the first four, he reserved the final three for his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but we may not totally understand why he did that, why he chose to do that. But can I remind us all that when Jesus chose to teach in parable, 
symbolic form. He did it for two reasons. He did it both to reveal and to conceal. Luke 8 and 10 tells us that. So does Mark 4, 11 and 12. So parables have a two edged meaning and hey friend listen I'm glad the word of God says twice in this chapters he that hath an ear let him hear I want to know what Jesus wants us to know if you look at verse 35 listen to what he said he said that it might be fulfilled which was spoken to the prophets saying I will open my mouth in parables I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world according to the psalmist Psalm 78 and 2 we find that the, uh, that, that the, that the Messiah uh, was to utter things um, that had been kept secret friend hey can I tell you he wants us to know he wants us to have a no so salvation he wants us to know him personally and intimately he wants us to know what this book says it's not not a closed book it's not a sealed book but it's been opened by the grace of God to those who want to read it and search it now when Jesus introduced this parable to his hearers I can't help but imagine now what his Jewish disciples wondered about when they heard about the pearl I wonder if they wonder what in the world is the significance of a pearl for you see the Jews friend uh, the Jew, for the Jews an oyster was an unclean thing if you look in the book of Leviticus I believe it is chapters 10, 11 and 12 you'll find all of the clean and the unclean beasts um, that uh, God told the children of Israel they could eat an oyster has no fin and no scales so therefore it was a bottom feeder an oyster lays right on the bottom in the muck and the mud and the mire where all the junk settles. Hey, to the Jew, friend, it went right over them. They were blind. They couldn't see. But the disciples of Jesus Christ, friend, listen, they got the message clearly. You see, the Jew, now listen to this, never considered a pearl to be of any great value. In fact, even the word pearl is not mentioned but one time in the Old Testament. And before we look into this parable too deeply, remind, let me remind you, although that God knew what He was doing, if you'll look with me at two places, and they're close in the book of Genesis, first in chapter 15, then in chapter 22, I, I want to bring something to your mind maybe that you haven't read in a while, and something honestly that ought to excite you. When God was talking to Abraham long ago, when God was talking to Abraham long ago, I believe he had these two parables. The parable that we looked at last week, the hidden treasure, and the parable of the pearl of great price in mind. And you say, where do you get that at, preacher? Well, hold on, and I'll show you. I believe we can, I believe we can find them in the promise God made to Abraham. You see, it was a promise that, um, that he would be a father of both an earthly people and an heavenly people. Do you all remember that? Look what he said in chapter 15. When God... Uh, uh, sealed, if you will, the covenant that he made with Abraham. I mean, God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees in chapter 12. Took Abraham to get uh, a little while to get to the place where God could bless him and, and, and put his hand of seal upon the covenant God gave to him. And listen to what he said specifically in verse 5. 
And he brought him forth, meaning God brought him forth from abroad and said, Look now uh, toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou art able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. Turn quickly over to chapter 22 and read and look at, look at with me at verse 15, 16, and 17. You know when you're looking up, you're looking to the stars, you're looking toward heaven, Right? You know what God said to Abraham? He said, Abraham, it's probably blew his mind. He knew he was on planet earth. He knew he was on terra firma. He knew he was a natural man. He knew he was of, of the dust. But God said, look up. You're going to be a father of a heavenly people. That blew him away. But watch this. On Mount Moriah, chapter 22 of the book of, of Genesis. After that, Abraham had offered Isaac, his son, up as a sacrifice. And you all know the story. If you don't, that's all I'm going to tell you. You ought to read it for yourself. Listen to what he said in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, meaning giving your son and not withheld thy son, thine only son, listen now, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee. Thy seed is the star of the heaven. What's the next word? Say it with me. And as the sand which is by the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of thine enemies. God tells Abraham there's a hidden treasure buried in this field and there's a pearl of great price. And you know what? Listen now. Take this as you will. You are the daddy of both of those. Isn't that amazing? Y'all didn't like that too much but I did. That's pretty amazing what God told to Abraham. Now you say, preacher, why'd you tell? Listen, this stirs my faith. If God can tell somebody something that long ago and bring it to pass, friend, in the age when he was manifest in the flesh, walking on planet earth and still able and willing to keep his promise in my day, that makes my faith grow stronger. I don't know about you. Look what he said in Acts 15. Here's what's going on in this time frame. I'm giving you this up front because I'm going to preach this message maybe a little different than what most people do or have or whatever. But I want you to look in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. You got your Bible, get it open, get it on your lap, get your hands in and open it up. You need, you need this. This 15th chapter of the book of Acts is one of the great chapters in the Word of God. It is very transitional. The book of Acts, the whole book of Acts is transitional. But I'm going to tell you this is one of the greatest records we have any, of anything happening in the New Testament. After Jesus went back to heaven, after the Holy Spirit came, and after he sent out his 12, including the Apostle Paul, to preach the gospel to both Jew and Gentile. You see, there were some questions, there were some issues, and there were some problems. And at this assembly, at this great conference, do you know what God did? God nailed it down once and for all. Hey, listen, get ready to get happy that a sinner is saved by grace through faith. Hey, man. I mean, to tell you, Peter got up, and they were wondering, well, should you, what, what's going on down there at these Gentiles? Peter got up and said, I don't want to tell you what happened. The same thing happened down there at Cornelius' house that it happened on us uh, on, on the day of Pentecost. The very same thing. Peter, and, or I mean Barnabas and Paul began to talk how that God had blessed them and how he had wrought great miracles, wonders through them. And James, of all people, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was, who was still, listen, friend, he was pretty strict, pretty much close to the edge of being a legalist. He absolutely was. You have read the book by his name, haven't you? James, James I call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. 
But listen, look at what James says. Now listen to this. It's beautiful. He said in verse 13 and following, and after that, they held their peace. After, after Barnabas began to tell what happened, what had been going on in the different places, him and Paul had been spreading the gospel, after, after, after that, they just held their peace. And old James answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon, meaning Peter, hath declared how that God at the first did visit the Gentiles. Look at this. If you don't under, if you don't have your Bible underlined here, underline it. That Simon told us how at the first God did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Everybody look up here. That's talking about you and me. Amen. God had a plan for us. He's got a purpose. We're the church. We're that pearl of great price. How wonderful that. And we're going to be exalted. Y'all know who we are? I'm going to give you two things among many that I can say. Number one, we're the body of Christ. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his mouthpiece on planet earth. But one day, thank God, when he takes us home, we're going to be his bride. And you know what he's going to do? Hey, he's going to put us on display and we'll shine for eternity. Hey, let me go a little bit further. That still haven't got you, has it? We're going to share in His glory. Amen. We are going to share in His glory. You and I, the cost Him His blood. We're going to share in His glory. Man. I, it is good. They don't think so, but it is, Mark. It's about as good as it gets. That's what he said. And to this agree the words of the prophet as it is written. Y'all know this book is a solid book from beginning to end. No contradiction, no errors, nothing's wrong with it. If you find something wrong in this book, listen, it's something wrong with you, not something wrong with this. I mean to tell you there is a scarlet thread that runs from the beginning to the end. He said, after this, I will return. After this. After what? Do y'all know the church is temporary on planet earth? It's always been in the heart and mind of God. It's always going to be with Him, but on planet earth, it's temporary. We're short timers. We're, we're, we're getting ready to get out of here. I was kind of hoping Don would sing 116, getting ready to leave this world. Getting ready to leave this world of sorrows. I'm getting ready for gates unfurled. Hey, friend, we're getting ready. He said, after the church, after the fullness of the Gentiles, after, bless God, the last Gentile says, I'll trust Christ. We're going home. But wait just a minute. The thing's not done yet. There's more to follow after that. There's going to be establishment of a kingdom that he promised to David. There's going to be a king sitting upon the throne. And it's going to be none other than Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the virgin-born Son of Mary. And listen, he's going to rule from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And when he comes to set up his kingdom, he'll come. I, glory to God, none of us in my notes, Greg. Hey, when he comes, he'll come out of heaven, Revelation 19, riding a white horse, leading the armies of heaven. That's me and you. He'll have on himself a vest. Bless God, it looks like it's got blood all over it. On his thighs, the name will be written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Out of his mouth will go a sharp two-edged sword by which he'll rule the nation. And we'll start our honeymoon. Woo! What a way to begin. Amen. What a way to begin. Amen. 
I don't understand it all, but I believe, bless God, every fired word of it. You hear me? I can't explain it. Where are you at, Steve? I can't understand eternity. It scares me. Eternity frightens me. I'm thinking if I've got all that much time, I'll find a way to mess up. Don't y'all laugh? I'll probably do it because I was watching you. Y'all get right real high and holy. Don't forget who's standing and preaching. I'm just kidding. Y'all know that. Look, let, let's remember some things about these parables. Let me move on. I told you I was going to try to stick with the notes. It's hard to do, but I'll try. These parables tell us again about what will go on in planet Earth in this time of, and I hate this word. I told you that the first time I use it, Christendom. In this time when, when the king is absent. Look at verse 45. Let me turn back to it again so I can, so I can read it. Look at verse 45 again, the first verse in in this parable, excuse me, he said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a goodly pearl. Y'all know who the merchant man is. We, we, we've already learned that. The merchant man seeking for the godly pearls was the same one who sowed the seed, who sowed the weed, who sowed the mustard seed, and the one that was looking for the hid treasures. Look at verse 46. Listen to what it says. It says that, um, that who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen, friend. He searched for pearls, but when he found one pearl of great price, did the only thing that he could do. And you say, what did he do? He, sell, he sold everything that he had to purchase. Now look, there's been a lot of people that's preached this message that it is the unbeliever seeking Christ. That's not what this parable is about. None of us were looking for Jesus. He, he was looking for us. We used to sing a song over home. Uh, he found me while searching out the way. I can't remember. Let the lower light. No, it's not it. But it's something about lights. Horse sitting. Used to love it. Time we got through hearing it 115,000 times. None of us liked it but horse. Y'all, y'all remember? I mean, you remember the name of the song? Sing it again, he'd say. He had a message. But he'd say, I mean, it just ministered to him. I know how to sing that song in soprano, tenor, first tenor, baritone, bass, and alto. I can sing every part. Trying to make it new. You know, I'm not ragging on horse. Y'all know how I loved him. But listen to what he said. You say, what, what does it mean that he selleth all? Turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. Y'all know these verses, but it's good to look at them. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. Look now, when he found this one purple. Now, everybody look up. Everybody right now look up at me. Everybody look up at me. Everybody. Everybody's looking up at me. Say Amen. I'm talking about you here. I'm talking about how much Jesus thought of you, what he wanted for you, and what he was willing to do so that you could be here today on this Sunday in November worshiping him. If y'all don't want to do it, I will. Woo! Listen, friend, we've been redeemed. I'm going to complain to the leadership. Where you at, Judy? Where are you at? So I don't like the way we sung that chorus on I'm Redeemed. I'll sing it like that if y'all play it again, but I don't like it. But I love knowing I'm being redeemed. Listen to what it says. For as much as we know that we were not redeemed with corrupt things as silver and gold from vain conversation received by tradition of your Father, but watch this, but with the precious blood of Christ of the Lamb, without spot and without blemish, He sold everything that He had. You know what that means? He gave the last drop of His life to save men. 
Why do we do, Greg Carney, such poor job serving him? That's what your lesson was about, was it not? I'm not picking on you. I'm just adding on to your lesson. And I lead the pack. I, I want more. You know one of the things about this church that I believe with all my heart? Everybody in here agrees with these two things. Say amen after I get done. I'll slow down and give you time to say We're not a perfect church. But in our heart, we want to be. That makes a difference. Do you all know that? And God knows the intent of our heart. The thought and the intent of our heart. But He sold everything that He had. Now listen, let me tell you all something. Don't get up on your high horse too much. Can I tell you what? Do you know the value of a pearl is not found in the pearl itself? Oh, y'all are thinking now, aren't you? Everybody's back there going like this. They went. They had those eyebrows up and then he went. Scurled. The value of the pearl is found on what the person willing to buy it with. That's where the value is. I'm going to jump a little bit on this one. Hey man, let it sink in. I, I've heard people that have, they have these uh, uh, collections. And they'll say, oh, my collection is worth X amount of dollars. And I'll come and say, no, it's not. It's not worth any more than somebody do it will give it to you. Now, you can put a value on it all you want. But it's not worth any more than what somebody is willing to take out of their pocket and put in yours. And you know what Jesus thought of us? He thought more highly of us than we do ourselves. He thought we were worth redeeming by the grace of God, by His blood. Amen. That ought to make somebody want to shout and get it. Do you still love me? Do you still love me, by the way? That's better than talking, to you, talking about you behind your back, is it not? Well, that shocked me. I thought, Lord, what happened? Did somebody take Xanax or something? They'd like, I'll move on on that. I could, I'll just move on. You hear? Paul, t- hey, the writer Luke tells us that God have mercy. It's dangerous to preach when you have liberty. You hear me? These are the kind of things I'll go home and regret for saying. He tells us in the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul did when he met the elders of Ephesus at Miletus, when he knew that he would see their face no more. He said, listen, he said, I'm not shunned and declaring to you all, all the counsel of God. And he said, listen, you pastors, you take care of the flock over which God has made you overseers. Now get this, which he has purchased with his blood. We're valuable. We are valuable. I, I do what? Hey, uh, yeah. Hey, I, I'm, he loves us. He, and I wonder why we don't love him back sometimes. I, I'm not sad, not meddled too much in the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to meddle a little bit. I don't see why people that say they love him and used to come here to church no longer do. I don't see why people say they love him used to go any other church. No longer do. I'm telling you, love is an action word. And we ought to act like we love him. We sure do. Look, as I, as I told you earlier, the Jew, Jew didn't value. Jew didn't value a pearl. But I'll tell you what, friend, listen. Although it referenced a lot of gems in the Old Testament, is never a pearl. Have you ever wondered why the church is likened unto a pearl? Not a diamond, not a ruby, 
not a sapphire, not another gem. Do you, do you ever wonder about it? Anybody? It does take it a while to grow, but that's not the reason. Well, there's only one grain of sand that causes a pearl. They even tell me that it may not be sand, it may be a parasite. A result of a mistake. You may be getting closest of all of them, but let me tell you why I think, and I'm glad you're all answering. Why isn't it a diamond? Why isn't it a ruby? Why isn't it a sapphire? Why isn't it some kind of a gem? Because I'll tell you what, I, I, it's how the pearl was formed. Now, they were all getting close to it. They all knew the idea about that. But it's the only gem that comes from a living organism. It is the product of something living. You know what that does to me when it comes to gemology? And I'm not talking about G-Y-M either. J-G-E-M. It blows my mind. You think about that. The only precious gem. And it comes from a living organism. You see, it's the end result. And here's where the ladies are going. The end result of some object invading an oyster. Some grain of sand, some say it wasn't sand, but others say it was. Some say it was a parasite. But it was something that invaded that living organism. To that oyster, it was an intrusion. And like was said, a pearl forms over time. Can I tell you something? If God didn't have a workforce to do on planet Earth, as soon as we said amen or yes to Him, He'd take us to heaven. He didn't save us to sit, sire, and soak. He saves us to serve. He saved us to serve. You see, it's the end result of something invading uh, the oyster. A pearl is formed over time. When a foreign substance intrudes the oyster, it irritates the oyster, and the oyster begins to secrete what we know as the mother of pearl. The word is N-A-C-R-E, uh, enunciated nacre. Y'all didn't know you was come for an education this morning, did you? The nacre, now listen, is the pearl's only defense to stop the pain and to take care of the intruder. See, I know where I'm going with that in a little bit. Y'all don't. The only defense. The nacre begins to cover, like the lady said back here, to cover the invader, the invader slowly. But surely the process continues until the pearl is formed. It's always at the great expense of the oyster because the oyster, friend, as it secretes its nacre, it's actually giving its life away. As it does, the amazing thing is the pearl is transformed. The invader, excuse me, is transformed. The object that has invaded uh, the, the oyster has turned into something of value. And if you look at Isaiah 53, 6, the Bible says, listen, the church is what it is because he has poured out his soul unto death. Too quiet. Let me try that one again. That passage, listen, if I don't present it right, deserves more response than that. The Word of God tells us in Isaiah 53 and 12, He poured His soul out even unto death. And it's for me and you, folks. We ought to get it. We ought to be stirred. Somebody asks you, how are you? So I'm, I'm, I'm good. 
You can tell them how you're good. Tell them you're covered with the blood. You can tell them you're a gem. You can tell them you're a jewel. I've had a lot of people call me a lot of things, but never called me a jewel. Anybody's ever said, you're a jewel, preacher. Y'all remember I told you somebody called me a model one time. When I was a young preacher, all that stuff going on at the church that split, somebody come out and said, you're a model preacher. I felt good. I went home and the Holy Spirit said, you might not want to look that up, dude. I got in Webster's Dictionary, it says a small, a small example of the, of the real thing. And I didn't feel so good after that. I'm telling you, hey, I've been there and done it. Listen now. Look, I, I, I'm, 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 listen, the pearl, I'm sure you already know, is the church purchased by Jesus at Calvary. And although it has many members, they're just one body. I don't know how God's going to put all this mess together, but He's going to. We're, we're living in a mess. Y'all know that, don't you? We're divided even among ourselves in the church world. We don't need any external enemies. We've got enough on the inside. But God's going to take care of it. He, hey, can I tell you all? He knows who's His. He knows who is His. You see, the world of the church is, is one body. Many members, one body in Christ is scattered across the world. Many of the members are living. Some are dead and yet alive. There is one church in all of Christendom. Y'all, y'all remember the riddle I gave y'all early on? I couldn't think of the word riddle the first time I gave it. it. took me a couple of seconds to think of it the second time. In Christendom, there is a church within the church that is the church. You see, we're living in the Philadelphia Laodicean church age. They overlap. They overlap. God knows who belongs to Philadelphia. God knows who belongs to Laodicea. You best know yourself. That's the important thing. Look, I'm sure all of us know that man does and has produced imitation pearls or what's known as cultured pearl. If, if you had a cultured pearl here today and an imitation pearl, how many of y'all think you could tell the difference? Raise your hand. Y'all know what you ought to look for in order to be able to tell the difference? I'll tell you what it is. Number one, the shape. A cultured pearl is perfect. Are y'all ready for this one? Now, this is good, folks, but, but a natural pearl is imperfect. Oh, see, y'all didn't get it, did you? Y'all didn't get that. But listen, wait just a minute. He's going to straighten that out. A cultured pearl is generally perfectly round. The natural pearl is not. It's imperfect. And how fitting that is for a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Anybody in here perfect, stand up. There's this guy's funeral going on. Wife and the son sitting on the front seat. Preacher, man, he just, he was just having go at that preacher. Or at that funeral. Mother looked over to little her, her son. She said, son, you better go up there and look in that casket and check and make sure that's your daddy. She said, because that man that that preacher's talking about sure ain't your daddy. We got the tendency to praise the dead and curse the living. I mean, the Bible says in the last days they'll have a form of godliness but, and, but deny the power thereof. Man might not be able to tell the difference in real and not, but God knows. Look, if you will, maybe the last verse I'll ask you to turn to. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 and 27. You ought to know all these verses I've given you. They're, they're major, main passages of Scripture. 
in the Word of God. Listen to what he said, Ephesians, right after Galatians, right before Philippians. He said, now look, there's something going to happen. We're imperfect. We've got a, everybody in, everybody in here saved, say amen. You've got a perfect salvation, you're just an imperfect Christian. That's why we struggle with the works of the flesh and of the Spirit, Greg. You know that, and I do too. Well, you, you about give them a heart attack early when you said they're in you too. You remember that? You remember you said that they got quiet, they looked at you cross-eyed? Everything he pre- taught this morning, man, was good. I mean, look, we've all got the flesh. The change hasn't happened yet. Our redemption is in three parts. You all know that, don't you? And it's not full yet until we get the completion of our salvation when this old body has been changed into a body likened unto our Savior. Now, how do we get, how do we get that imperfection taken care of? Y'all, y'all know what you do when you, well, if you're like me, you got a black jacket on and you got probably dots of cheese from some Mexican restaurant on your sleeve. When your wife can't pick them off with your fingernail, you go in the bathroom, get a little water, and rub them off, okay? You, you send it to the cleaner. You know what I'm saying? Well, y'all know what the beam of seed of Christ is? It's like sending something to the cleaner. We've got wrinkles on us. You see, the devil wants me to say some of us more than others, but I'm too godly to say that. I wouldn't say that. Not y'all. We got spots in us, do we not? Sins is what he's talking about. Faults and failures. And now that I'm looking at a pearl, there are flaws in us. You know what? If you're married, your wife is sitting there thinking about you, sir. If I have to stop and pause, it's no good. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth, though. I've told you time and time again, when I have to explain it, it's not worth much to me. So, Listen to what he said in Ephesians 5, 26, 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blame. God's going to take care of all of our imperfections when we go by the Bema. Look, I'm, I'm closing. Let me, let, let me remind you that in this parable, the Bible says the merchant, when he found that one pearl of great price, he selleth all that he hath, is what Matthew says. Now I imagine most of us can understand to a small degree And the emphasis is upon the small degree some of the physical pain that our Savior suffered. Some of the pain that He experienced in becoming like like we are so that one day we could become like Him. Maybe some of us can understand His tears or even some of His pain. Maybe some of us can understand a little of the thirst that He experienced at the end of his time on the cross. But can any of us understand the personal pain that he endured? Can we understand the hurt of his heart when he who is holy became like us? Can we understand what he felt like and thought when he robed himself with flesh for the first time in eternity? I don't believe any of us can fathom what it was like for the one who is perfect and holy to feel the sting of my sins and your sins 
as God, according to Isaiah 53, 6, says, place them all on our Savior. I can't imagine how it tastes to him when he turned the bitter cup up that he prayed if it be God's will to avoid in Luke chapter 22. We can't imagine what it was like for him who was life to enter into the death that was ours and the darkness that accompanied being separated from God the Father. We can't know how he failed as our substitute but taking our place on the cross and hearing him cry. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is, as you know, being interpreted, My God, my God, my self forsaken. We can see him here. We can see and hear him praying in Gethsemane. We can even hear him at the tomb of Lazarus as he groaned in the spirit. The Bible tells us as he wondered if the people closest to him would ever get it and understand who he was and what he came to do. People think somewhere or another he was he was weeping over Lazarus. I I don't I don't believe that for a moment. He knew what he was going to do to Lazarus. He knew that before he came. He knew that before he left glory. He let him die. If he'd have came, he'd have, he'd have healed him of his sickness. But I believe he was groaning and weeping because men and women, after being there almost three and a half years at this time, still didn't see that he was God incarnate. We know that he came to his own, but his own received him not. We know he was rejected by the very ones that should have embraced him. And it was in Gethsemane and at Calvary, Golgotha, that he felt all the hurt, all the despair, all the emptiness, all the misery, all the heartache and heartbreak of sin. Listen, folks, for you and me. After he cried, it is finished. He bowed his head and died, and the soldier took his spear pierced his side, and the Bible said, forthwith comes blood and water. See, it's my sin and your sin, friend, that cost the life of Jesus. Thank God He was willing to give it for all of us who are sinners. Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And it was in that moment, I believe, and allow me some leeway here, but it was in that moment, forthwith come blood and water that the church was birthed. It goes back to a very beautiful picture in the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned or, or after God had created Adam. Excuse me. And Adam needed to help me. You know what God did to him? He put him to sleep and opened up his side. Removed a rib and from that rib made Eve. That's a picture of Jesus dying on the cross for me and you. And I believe it was that moment when the blood and the water came forth that the, birth, the, the church was birthed, if you'll allow me to say it that way. You say, why, preacher? Well, let me say this. Without that wound, there'd be no church. Without that wound, there'd be no Christ. Every head bowed, nobody looking around. Are you saved? Well, if you are, friend, listen. We've got reason, abundant reason to rejoice. Righteous reason to rejoice glorious reasons to rejoice. We've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. But are you saved? I'm not asking you if you're a church member. You see other people looking at you may not be able to tell whether you're cultured or you're real. You see Nicodemus was cultured, educated, courtly, 
He was religious, but he was lost. And Jesus knew it because that's why he said to him, except a man be born of the Spirit, cannot even see the kingdom of God. He told him, finally, you must be born again. Being a church member is good, but that doesn't give us salvation. You, you, you may fool a lot of people, but listen, sir, ma'am, you don't fool Christ. And if you, look, if you're not saved, you'll not be at the Bema. You, you won't have to worry about getting your flaws and wrinkles out and, and spots. You'll go to another judgment. It'll be the last, the great white throne, and that, that won't be good. But are you saved? That's the question. We sing a song many times, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson slant stain, but he washed it white as snow. If you're not saved, if you don't know for sure this morning, sir, ma'am, in this place looking on, if you don't know for sure your sins are under the blood, your name's in the Lamb's book of life, and you're sealed with the Spirit, you need to be saved today. I wonder if there's anyone like that today. Put your hand and put it back down quickly until I say, God bless you, hold it there. Quickly and quietly say, I'm lost, preacher. I'd like to be a part of that thing that Christ purchased with His blood, but I know I'm not. Would you pray for me? If there's someone looking in on Facebook, we'll tell you what to do after this message is over. You do it. You call somebody. You make your way here. Get in your car. There'll be somebody here probably 1230. I'd sure like to pray with you. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, folks, we ought to go out here today with a, a new zeal, with a new stir of our heart, with a new, with a new desire to give Him the fruit of our lips. That is 